Wow. It's just not right for some people to have all the talents. It? It's just, just amazing. You talk, you know, speaks what, like five languages, and uh, and then you know he can transform into like a black John Denver, and uh, <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable, <laughs> amazing, uh, absolutely. It just, uh, it's just amazing. But that. That was wonderful, Patrick. I just, I tell you what, it's going to be uh, hard for us to let y'all go when you've been here for a little bit. I'm telling you what. Uh, but y'all pray for them. They'll be sometime, I guess, next year, sometime next year going to Germany as as uh, missionaries. And, and I, honestly, I don't know that God has outfitted or prepared anybody anymore for, for a task than he has... Uh, uh, Patrick and Christelle f- to go to Germany. So, uh, what a thrilling thing! Joshua chapter five. Joshua chapter five. Uh, we're going to look at uh, verse nine. We're going to Joshua chapter five, verse nine, and we're going to take a look. Again, I want to thank you for your faithfulness to be here this this morning and uh, during this uh, holiday weekend, and uh, I'm thrilled that you're here. Joshua chapter 5, verse 9, it says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you bless this morning. Holy Spirit of God, guide my mind, my thoughts. Lord, it's a, it, it, it's, it's a, 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 a wonderful time to have holidays and vacations and, and such, but Lord, it is so easy to get our minds uh, sidetracked and consumed with other things. So Father, I ask you right now that you would clear my mind that you'd give me clarity of mind, the Spirit of God, that you would fill me with your presence and you would anoint me with fresh oil for today. God, that you would guide my thoughts. Lord, that you would move through this room and open up hearts and minds to the truth. Father, we need your presence. We need your power. We need your protection. I ask you to wrap your arms around us today. And Lord, Please be a mighty hedge of protection to those that are traveling, those that are away from us. Lord, be a hedge of protection to us. Lord, be with the the young people in our junior church and those that are working so diligently over there. And Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you turn back every evil that would try to snatch away the truth today. God, let this be fertile ground that would be receptive to the to the truth, to the seeds that are planted. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. The 
Israelites, after wandering through the wilderness, this is, this is uh, to me an amazing story, but after wandering for the, through the wilderness for, for 40 years, and you have to remember that those who had failed would leave the scene, but the new generation grew up under the provision and leadership of God. That's who's really who's entering in now. It's a whole new generation that's entering in. For 40 years, they were faced with constant provision. They were given clear leadership. They learned to follow God's leadership and trust in God's provision. And the people that are about to enter into the promised land are these, these people that grew up and all they know is the provision of God. All they know is, is God's protection and, and God's leadership. This is, this is what they've grown 40 years. Some were born during this time and you know not all are 40 years old, but, but regardless of the age, all they have really known is this divine leadership you know one of the things that's really hurt our nation or hurt our world really and even and has hurt Christianity is when when we have bad leadership and and the truth is one of the things that's hurt Christianity is 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 too many have ended up being bad leaders and the fact is though these these people grew up under really Good, stable leadership for 40 years. Now, they called the place Gilgal, which means to roll away. It means a wheel. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of off you, wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. So they're here now, and they are, uh, they're entering into the promised land. And, and watch this. He says, now I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Not until this point. Because of their fathers, they had carried the reproach of Egypt with them for the last 40 years. I don't know at what point the last one of that old generation died. I'm not sure at what point they did. Maybe it took the whole 40 years. But they had carried this reproach. Numbers 11 uh, four through six says this, and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And that's the amazing thing that that's what you're looking forward to. I mean, that just does not entice me at all. If my wife came to me today and said, Hey, Rob, we're having for lunch. Onions and leeks and garlics. I would say, we're going out to eat, baby. <laughs> he said, but now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. Look, uh, this previous group, they just, every time anything got a little bit tough or when they just didn't like it, they kept looking back to Egypt. Now, their fathers had come out of Egypt, but after spending a lifetime under the influence of Egypt, even the provision of Egypt, Egypt had not come out of them. They came out of Egypt, but Egypt had not come out of them. They were trusting, listen to me now, this is so important because I'm going to ask us at the end of this, we've got to evaluate 
where we are in this whole thing because they were trusting in a movement that would give them freedom for provision, for protection, for prosperity, but they were not really trusting in Almighty God. They got caught up in a movement. It's kind of like young people that make decisions in, uh, at a camp, you know, and, and, and they're sitting there and everybody else starts moving to the altar and all of a sudden they think, well, I better go too. They get caught up in a movement. When things did not happen the way they thought, and this is the proof that they were simply caught up in a movement, when things did not happen the way they thought it would, their minds went back, always went back to Egypt. The old system had provided for them. And so since they were not really trusting in God, they were trusting in what God could do for them. When God didn't do for them what he wanted them to do for them, they looked back to the old life. Many times we find those who have come to Christianity believing it will somehow, and listen to me, I, I don't want to be misunderstood here, believing somehow that it will set them free. Now, I understand that salvation will set you free from eternal damnation, but somehow set them free physically, emotionally, financially. Somehow it's going to just, okay, I'm going to church. It's going to give me a better life. I'm going to be faithful to church. I'm going to have a better life. Now, I'm going to tell you this. There's no better life than serving God. God will give you a wonderful life. But I'm going to tell you, if you're coming for the better life and not coming for God, you're not here for the right reason. These came out of Egypt, but after a lifetime of Egyptian supply, they were struggling to understand what a life for God really meant. We have that today. The, the Egypt today, and the thing that's really hurting our nation, is the government. The government is our Egypt. It's, it's, it supplies everything. You know, I, I was reading just in the last couple of days where there's, you know, there's some in our, in our leadership now that, that wants to come and everybody that makes less than $100,000, I didn't read it all in detail, but if you make less than $100,000, they want the government to give you so much money a month, uh, so much for every child, so much for every this, so much, because they want you to have this. Do you understand that the... the one of the things that that takes away is your any drive to, to, to work, okay? But the other thing that takes away is it makes you dependent on the government rather than on God. Our Egypt today is also in the churches, for today they present a God who in, uh, in exists, is, to, is really, he just exists to do our bidding, to make us happy. So the first generation, very soon after escaping Egypt, had begun uh, to murmur about the lack of water. I mean, they very soon, they, they, they come out of Egypt, they start murmuring about the water. Uh, they see the miracle at Marah, uh, but instead of seeing the power of God, they were consumed and blinded still by their physical need. Uh, they, they got caught up in, in the fact, okay, we want water. Okay, we got water, and now we're happy again because we have what we want, so now we're happy. Folks, you're not happy when you get what you want. You're happy when you want what you have. 
when we're satisfied with what we already got. Now, it, which, you know, it's so amazing. The very next day, the very next day, it, you really, it's so good to actually study. Uh, the very next day, they're going to be in Elam. Elam is an oasis. Here we are at Morrow. We're going to make a little stop over for a day. And we want water. It's, it's bad water. So, oh, they start screaming and hollering and throwing a fit. We might as well go back to Egypt. We should have just died. We should have gone back. The very next day, they're going to be in an oasis where there's 12 wells. You know what? Sometimes God wants to know if you want him. And so he's not going to just give you what you want right now. He's wanting to see if you want him. Now, let me just tell you, he's not going to let you do without. He's going to take care of you. It was already ready. All they had to do, if they just kept the right spirit and right attitude, they were going to be in Elam the next day. Now, they, they just don't see what God's doing. How great was their need, really? It wasn't so great a need. Oh, I'm sure, look, you get thirsty in a day, I, I grant it. Now, I doubt, though, they were totally out of water completely. But when you don't trust God, what you do is you look at the present circumstances and say, oh, no, we're never going to have. That's not true. You know, a faithful man shall abound with blessing. Do you understand that that blessing is always around a corner that you can't see? God's wanting to see if you're going to be faithful until you get to the blessing. Selfishness causes us to miss God's intended provision, but even in their selfishness and childishness, God, and this is so amazing, God in his grace performed a miracle for them at Mara. This is so, God is so gracious. Aren't we glad that God is gracious? And God is so patient with us. Even while they're having a bad attitude, God still provides for them water at Mara. He provides a miracle to make the water good at Mara. And, he, and he, he does that for them because it's the goodness of God that leadeth us to repentance. And God's trying his best to make them. Look, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought plagues to the, all of Egypt, and I didn't bring it to you. And I brought you out. And when I brought you out, they were giving you everything. And I've come out, and we're just barely out of here. And now you're upset because you don't have water. And he says, okay, but I'm still working with you. I still want you to, I want you to believe in me. I want you to trust me. So let me, let me do one more miracle for you. Is that good? One more miracle. Immediately after leaving this wonderful oasis the next day, though in Elam, they, be, they began to complain again and, and show clearly that their hearts are still in Egypt. And I believe this, not only are their hearts in Egypt, but I believe it's their hearts are after the gods of Egypt. Because, see, if they're so consumed with Egypt and Egypt's provision and how good Egypt is, why, look, why is Egypt so wonderful? Because the gods of Egypt. The gods of Egypt must be greater than the God that they're following in the wilderness exodus chapter 16 verse 3 through uh, 8 and i won't read all of it. it says and the children of israel said unto them would to god we had died by the hand of the lord in the land of egypt when we sat by the flesh pots when we did eat bread to the full for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger this is so amazing uh, uh, the, even the reason reasoning is so chaotic here would to God we had died where the flesh pots are. I, 
That is so stupid. I just wish we had died with food in our mouths rather than dying from starvation. You know, I mean, uh, look, uh, let me help you folks. If you had died, you would not be complaining right now. You'd be dead. This is more of a statement of how they had it better in Egypt. And it's so amazing because in Egypt, they were slaves. What I believe is revealed is that they had begun to believe in the gods of Egypt. The Egyptian gods gave them all they wanted. Now, it's, uh, now it is surely an exaggeration for they were slaves and surely slaves did not eat all they wanted. They're talking like they got all they wanted. We can eat all we want. We can have all. These are slaves. They didn't get all they wanted. The Egyptian gods gave them all they wanted, but in their minds. Uh, it, the, the, the fact is, here again, the Lord's grace is amazing, for he provides for this disgruntled, non-believing group. In verse 4, he says, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them, whether they walk, with, uh, walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as as they gather daily, and Moses and Aaron, son of the children of Israel, and even then shalt thou know that the Lord hath brought you out of the land of Egypt. Hey, look, God just keeps blessing these people, miraculously blessing these people. Do you, folks, everybody in here, we're all blessed. We are blessed. God has been incredibly good to us. Now, the Lord will prove himself to them, but he does not, listen, here's what's key. He does not bow to their every wish. God wants us to know him as Jehovah Jireh. That means God the provider. And they want him to know that God will provide, but listen, God doesn't have to give you every little desire when you want it. The Lord God is also going to present to these people who he is and what he expects from them by giving them his law. So he, he does miracles for them. Then he gives them a, a, a structure, a way of life. And again, that's not so that they can obey all these laws. It's so that they can have a better life, so they can live. They got, you know, every life has to have some kind of structure. Every nation has to have laws. Every every place has to have uh, rules and regulations in order for you to, to function properly. So God gives them that. He will instruct them even on how to worship him. But Egypt remains in their heart all the way. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1, it says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And, and the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in the wilderness? It is amazing. God has done all this. Now he's brought them to the promised land, and they're still upset. And they're disobedient to God. Now, the rebellious generation will die in the wilderness. And in truth, I believe they, they pretty much, while they're dying in the wilderness, they remain rebellious. Now, the next generation we're going to talk about, and what I'm talking about this morning is actually three generations. I'm only going to really spend time on two of them, and I'm calling them generations, but I want us to see that really there's three types of Christians. The next generation came. They saw the failure of the first. 
You see, they saw that, that, that this first generation, they got in trouble every time they rebelled against God. They understand they saw that they really didn't trust God, that they were part of a movement that somehow was going to make everything pleasant and better. We've seen this. I've seen this for years and years. People that get involved in church and they put their kids in a Christian school and in youth group. And, it, and the only, it's not because they believe any of it. They just somehow think that's going to turn out good kids for them. And what they don't understand is it doesn't. It actually hurts their kids more because here they are. They're getting one thing at school. They're getting something at church. And then they come home and they realize that this is all a, a farce. And, they, and they're living completely different at home. And so all it does is it just creates a hypocrisy in their minds. This is what these, this second generation saw. They saw that these people, it was like, okay, uh, we're following because we're going to get to the promised land. We're following because we're going to be blessed. We're following because we're set free now. We're following, oh, but, but we don't have water. We're angry. Send us back. Oh, we don't have meat. Oh, we're angry. Send us back. It, we, you know, we don't have everything the way we're, we're angry. Folks, if you're getting angry every time things don't go your way, you better check out your Christianity. If, if it's stirred, every time something goes a little bit bad for you, if you go back and, and your attitude is, well, what's Christianity doing for me? Well, listen, I tell you, if it, nothing else, it's going to keep you out of hell. But that's not the kind of Christianity we're supposed to have. Boy, my wife said, she said, Oh, Rob, people have been so tired and so busy and all this stuff that you really need to encourage them this morning. <laughs> I'm glad she's not in here. All right. Now, but I'm going to encourage you. Here's the second generation. Here's this group. They saw the failure of the first. And, folks, listen, you, you can learn just as much from watching somebody fail as watching somebody succeed. You understand, a lot of what's formulated uh, my life and made me so wonderful. The, um, that was a joke, folks. The, no, the, the, a lot of the things that I've learned, it really, I, you know, I've learned some wonderful things from some wonderful people and some things I think, wow, that's really helpful and that's really good. I've also watched some people and said, you know what, there's one thing I learned from that, I ain't never doing that. I'm never going to act that way. I'm never going to, you know, because I, I, you, know, you learn both ways. So they saw the failure of the first. They had watched for 40 years as the first generation died off. They had to learn to depend solely on God, and they did. Like every one of them that was born and some who were alive when this whole thing began, uh, they, they spent 40 years learning to depend on God. There were no memories of the leeks and garlics and fish of Egypt. They really had no memories of all that uh, all the world had to offer. And can I, can I tell you, that's, uh, that's a wonderful thing. And that's really what we're wanting for our children. I, I don't want them to have to flush out the garbage that I've had to flush out of my head. God was gracious and merciful to them, but he also did not. Listen to this. He did not spoil them. He didn't go out here and make the, you know, well, hey, you know, this is next generation, and you're, let's just make it all a party. Let's give you, let's give you a banquet every night. No, he, he didn't do that. He, he let them learn to trust his leadership and his provision. 
He gave them what they needed. They needed manna, but more they needed, listen, they didn't need the manna. They needed to know the God of the manna. This new generation did not know the gods of Egypt like their fathers. They spent 40 years following God's leadership. They spent 40 years and, only, uh, and they only knew God's provision. It's like, um, <clears throat> I think it was Brooke, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Brooke posted the other day of, of Brett with his, his, his bicycle for, for, uh, for his birthday. And she wrote about the fact that that big smile and his happiness, and she said that, that the bicycle was just his old bicycle that they had cleaned up and got a new seat for. And he was so happy because he had an old bicycle with a new seat. Can I tell you, that's what happens when you grow up not getting everything. And, but we're so convinced in this, this world and this nation we have that if, we, if, if, every, if our children don't get everything, they're going to be deprived. They're going to be unhappy. They're not going to get, uh, they're, they're just going to, they're going to be bitter toward us. <clears throat> Listen, folks, I, I'm telling you, if we have the right attitude toward God and God's provision, if we rejoice about what he does for us, our children can be happy about a new seat more than they'll be happy about a brand new bike. Big reason he was happy was because he never had a new bike in Africa. Therefore, he is happy with what God provided. The new generation of Israelites only knew the manna and the meat that God had provided. They were content with it. Do you understand? It, it, you know, one of the things that, that blessed us when the girls were, were young is that we really watched hardly any TV at all. Uh, we would do, you know, I'd hooked up you know, to a, a monitor where I could watch videos and stuff. You know what's one of the wonderful things? They get to Christmas and they're not asking for 9,000 things because they don't know about what's out there. They don't even know stuff's out there to ask for. And folks, I'm telling you, that is what, God's what God wants. He wants us to be content with what we have. So when we get something above what we have, we'll be excited about it. Our gracious, patient, almighty God does so many things for us to bring us to him, to truly trust him. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And we've got to see the things that God does as being good. That means that when like, we, we look at it and see the goodness of God, that means when God gives me this and gives me that, and amen, he's going to take care of everything I want, and, and I pray, and he gives me the money I want, I, you know, I get the house I want, I get the car I want. Get, that's not the goodness of God. Sometimes the goodness of God is looking at you and saying, you're going to go without for a little while. That's why you know, God allowed Brooke and Mike and the boys to live with us for a whole year. They appreciate that rental house they got now. <laughs> we have to look at our lives and determine what kind of Christian we're going to be. Either a Christian that cannot get the things of the world out of their minds, or the Christian who only wants to know and who wants to desire and appreciate the manna that God gives. See, there's two different groups. One group, 
they had the world in their heart and they never got the world out of their heart. They, they only followed the crowd because as they left Egypt, man, everybody's giving them everything. They're unloading everything on them. Man, this is great. Jewelry, and I got uh, food, and I, we've got cattle, and we've got everything. Oh, man, we're, it's wonderful. So we're following the crowd. Sadly, they had to die off. In order to get to a group that God said would trust me and follow me, into the fight that we're going to have to fight to conquer. It's so easy to get the taste of Egypt in your mouth. You know, before Thanksgiving, for about 30 days, my wife and I, we, we were on a kind of a diet. We had no sugar in the house. Not, we didn't have anything uh, at all, no sugar, with our, you know, and really limited on our meals. Now, the truth is, I got to where I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed eating that way. I felt better. Even lost a few pounds. I always say I don't lose weight. I just misplace it. I always find it again. But, <laughs> but then Thanksgiving came, and once I started eating desserts, <laughs> I really didn't want to eat right anymore. I really didn't. Once I got a taste of that stuff... Once I got a, I just took a little sliver of pecan pie. About 12 times I just took a little sliver of pecan pie. And then my wife said, are you, uh, the next morning, are you hungry for breakfast? I said, no, because I got a scoop of ice cream and blueberry pie. And man, I got to taste real quick for all those sweets. And I crave it right now. Now, for 30 days, I was fine. I didn't need it until I tasted of it. Christian, do you evaluate by what the world offers or or by what God provides? A loving God takes us from where we are, and he will do some amazing things to show himself to us. But he also desires that we grow in our faith in him. He desires that we grow to desire him rather than what he can do for us. And please get that statement. God wants you to want him, not just what he can do for you. He wanted the Israelites to travel for a short time and enter the promised land. Now, I want you to think about this now. He wanted them, they, 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 they traveled a very short time comparatively from, from Egypt to the promised land. They saw miracle after miracle, and they, they get to the promised land. Of course, they're going to turn back, but what he wanted was, was that, uh, that they would travel the short time, they would enter the promised land, believing in him, trusting in him, but the problem was, in that short time, he never got Egypt out of them. So I believe even if they had gone into the promised land the first time, they would not have defeated the world. The world would have defeated them. This new generation followed in faith all the way into the promised land, for they had learned to trust God. 
And, and all I'm trying to say is, my people of God, be careful what you give yourselves and your children. Uh, and that's the season that we're moving into. Be careful of what you give yourselves and what you give your children. It's so much better for them to know that all they do get comes because it is what God wanted for them. And what he wants for them is all they really need. It's just so important that, that we understand. And our children can't learn it unless we learn it. And we've got to learn, and I'm, I'm going to say again, that's part of the problem with the present generation we have today is that it's, it's, we, we're saying that, that it's, oh, we're doing this for our children and giving them this and having this and having that and giving them. No, it's, it's really the truth to be known is because we want all those things. And our children are a way to justify it. And all the while, we're destroying our children. Even the world that is, the, the wealthy world, some of the most wealthy of schools and families, do you understand that they don't even give their kids technology? Because they know in order to run their businesses in the future, they can't be all hooked up and addicted to that technology. Those three types of Christians are depicted in the story of the Israelites. The exit from Egypt through the refusal to go into the promised land to the wandering for 40 years to the entering and conquering the promised land to judges where they turn their backs on God. And I want to warn you, it's so easy to become consumed by, by church and programs and religious structure while all the while we're weakening in our relationship to God. You may be coming to church more than you've ever come to church, but are you getting closer to God? You say, well, well, if I'm not, should I just quit coming to church? No, you need to get closer to God. You need to understand why we come to church. I, I, you know, I'm pretty open with you. I, 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 um, I was going through a little bit last night, a little bit of, uh, a, a little bit of a discouragement time had a friend of mine that, that wrote me during that time last night, I mean, right when I was going through the, the most of it, wrote me and said, I'm praying for you. And I wrote him back, and I said, believe it or not, right now I need it. And he said, then I'll continue to pray. Yeah, you know, we have an incredible God that even cares enough to put me on the heart of one of God's men. But in that time, I said to my wife, I said, am I failing the people? Am I, are they growing? I, I don't mean are we, are they showing up? Are they learning? Are they getting closer to God? You see, a whole generation of people died never understanding who God really is and what he really wants to do in our lives. I think if we understand these three generations to help us keep our eyes on what's important, this is why we're beginning to fast Monday. And again, you, don't, you can fast however you want to. And I, and I warn you, if you've got a physical working job, you can't just shut off all 
uh, food I say you can. If God tells you to, you do whatever God tells you to do. But, but I, I'm going to tell you that uh, I, I'll try to, uh, I think we have some material from last year. Maybe we can look it up, print it up for tonight. I forgot about it. But, but the, you know, you've you got to consume enough to keep your strength up. But there's a lot of other ways to fast. And I'm telling you, in this generation, something that would bring us closer to God, almost more than, than, than doing away with food, would be doing away with technology. In Scripture, there are many types and lengths of fast, but when we think of Jesus, we think of a 40-day fast. The 40 days is a period of preparation, preparing us for overcoming temptation. We're, we're starting a 14-day fast, and you can do any part of that, but I believe that 14-day fast is a fast for focus. You see, often a fast becomes a test of willpower and determination, when in reality it's an elimination process. It is eliminating that which pulls your focus away from God. This is why the fast is not so much about food, but rather about anything that will keep your mind on self-sufficiency rather than on dependency on God. Elimination, this is why fast, eliminating food. So elimination of food weakens the body and breaks down the pride of man. But when we go without food long enough, and I want you to listen to this, please. When we go without food long enough, we will start to realize how dependent we are and how weak we are. But listen, fast should not be just about uh, be from food. For if we weaken the body, weaken man, but continue to pump in to, to that man, the world, through media, music, sports, money, then we actually are strengthening the, fast, the flesh rather than the spirit. Now, these three generations, one, and I'm almost done, one never had their focus on God. I just don't believe the vast majority of them never had their focus on God. And I'm not talking about three specific generations right here because any one of us can be any one of these generations. But there was a group of people that never had their focus on God. They had their focus on what God could do. And when he didn't do it, they didn't care about him. Number two, there was a group that had their focus on God. And that's what I'm so desiring Calvary to be as a people to keep our focus on God. And that's why I do a, a fast. That's why we have a prayer conference. I want our focus on God. And number three, what group that we've really not talked about today is the group that goes into the promised land, but soon through the, through the blessing of God, they lose or they lost their focus on God. So the question is, which group are we? Which one am I? Which one have I become? Some followed a religious excitement, a movement that brought hope of freedom and prosperity. Their focus was on the perceived result rather than on the Savior. Some focused on the Savior and focused on following in faith. Some lost their focus because their sight was clouded by the blessings they received in the promised land. Some looked for the pleasure of the promised land. Some sought to bring pleasure to God, to the God of the promised land. Some got caught up in the pleasures of the promised land. Righteousness brings blessing. Blessing so often brings complacency and backsliding. The generation that followed for 40 years was the generation that learned to walk in faith and was then willing to fight 
for the faith. And that's what we have to have. If we can have a group of people in this church that would decide I'm going to follow God because of who he is. I want to know him. I want to be with him. That group will not only follow him, that group will fight for his cause. Where are we spiritually is what the question is. Individually. Some of the first group are not saved for they simply get caught up in the wave of religious excitement. As I say again, so many kids would come to camp and they come forward and everybody else is praying so they pray. And, and listen, that's why I never turned them away. If they come later on and say, I get a reassurance of my salvation, fine, come on. Because I don't know but that they just followed the crowd last time. Most of the second group, I believe, are saved, for they have come to understand their need and accepted the Savior. Strangely enough, the wilderness, listen to this now, strangely enough, the wilderness is where we learn to stand for God in the time of blessing. Do you understand? If we will stand for God in the wilderness, we have a better chance of standing for God in the time of blessing because we realize God didn't change from the wilderness to the blessing. If your relationship is not right with God, you will turn on him in the time of hardship. If your relationship is not right with God, when the hardship comes, you'll do just like the Israelites and you'll turn on God. But I want you to understand, but if your relationship is not right with God, you will forget him in the time of blessing. If your relationship is right with God, you will find him in the time of hardship and in the time of blessing. Now, the third group's often saved, but they've forgotten God. And what happens is, is those that follow them are the ones who are not saved. It is so vital that we follow God. I've said this before, but I've gone through... Maybe not nearly as much as some people, but we've gone through a few hardships. We've gone through some down times. We've gone through some struggles. And I'm like every other human being, the thought of giving up, the thought of walking away would enter my mind. And one of the driving forces behind me refusing They've got to know that God is a God of the good times and the bad. He's still God. It's time that we look and say, am I seeking God? Which group am I? Am I here because a religion is a good thing to do? People say it make you better, give you a better life, and make you more prosperous, make your children turn out. I'm here because I've seen the mighty hand of, uh, of my God, and I want to know him better every day.
Is it possible that you might have been one of those that sought him? And he's blessed you. And in that time of blessing, we started to forget him because we didn't need him as much. Who are we? Father, I pray that you bless us morning.